Welcome to Global Data Pod, JP Morgan's podcast that expresses our views on the global economy and goes through our breaking research. And today we want to talk about uh, a research note that we've published entitled The Fading of the 2021 Supply Crunch. With me today is Joe Lupton, uh, and we're going to go through our views on what's happening in global industry and how it's really relating to this fundamental issue of the supply constraints that are both driving important volatility on growth and inflation in the global economy. So Joe, the title of the piece is The Fading of the 2021 uh, Supply Crunch. What does that actually mean? What are we actually seeing fading here and how is it expressed in terms of what we're seeing in the, in the data? Yeah, I think a, a, you know, a central part of our call for really the last, I don't know, three or four months has been that you know, the, the, the big deceleration in the goods sector that we saw through the third quarter um, driven by the, the, the supply shocks that built up, amplified by the, the, the COVID wave across Asia and then the Delta wave in the, in the summer months, that all of that was going to be something that would, that would fade as we moved through the fourth quarter, not disappeared. I want to be very clear on that. We're not wearing kind of rose-colored glasses here. The, the supply shock is not gone. This is a fading of the supply shock. And for careful listeners and readers of our research, you'll know we said throughout the fourth quarter that a key central call is that the supply shocks would fade. And okay, low so and behold, let's, uh, let's yeah. talk about both how they're fading and, and also what that is actually showing up in the data. Yeah. So let's yes. start with what actually we think is going on in the, in terms of the global economy here. Yeah. I mean, the, I mean, the, you know, exhibit a is just the simple fact that global manufacturing output has gone from contracting 5% uh, annualized in the three months through September to tracking what looks now to be a, a well over 10% annualized increase in the three months through December. That's close to twice as much as even what we are looking for when we were saying the supply shocks were gonna fade. So there's no doubt that industry is getting stronger. But then more importantly, in terms of you know, reading the, the 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 nuances in the data that support the view that this is about a fading of supply shocks, you you can see it in a lot of different areas. Certainly, the the survey data are showing it when we look at delivery times, which are starting to shorten now. They're by no means back to normal. Again, this point that we're not out of the woods yet, but they're just easing. Uh, a bit, and you can see that there. You can see some of the price pressures coming off. You can see some of these transportation type prices coming off. Uh, importantly, we felt like if we were going to see improvements, we should start to see it in Asia. And lo and behold, when you look at the actual production data or you look at the survey uh, output PMIs, all of these things are really ramping up strongly in Asia. And then, of course, ground zero for the supply shock was was the auto sector, and there you've seen uh, you know production in auto sales really shoot up in the just in the last uh, kind of couple months here. So I think you know everything you look at points in the direction of fading supply shocks, and to the extent that was a key call, I think we're feeling pretty good about things as we moved through the fourth quarter. And I think I mean, another part of this story is is inventories, which were. Uh, really being drawn down as these supply constraints were building. And, you know, I think one of the interesting parts of this story is as we look at this lift in production in Q4, it really does seem to have a pretty big inventory uh, a component to it. 
Uh, how is that showing up in the data? Yeah, I mean, you definitely see, I mean, the, the, the way we should think about it is there's a production side of the equation, and then there's a demand side of the equation. I mean, I mean, and you and I kind of, I think, go back and forth on this point, Bruce. I, I, everything I just said was really about the production side of the equation. And in my mind, that's kind of what I look at when I look for things that are inhibiting production. It's all about supplying the, the, the products that need in order to produce the products, the inputs and so forth. The demand side, I think, does also give you some, some kind of clues as to what's going on, but it's more the, 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 the demand element of the equation. And here you do Joe, see- when, the, when you can't make things, that has an impact on demand. In some places, it has an impact that you can't, for example, buy cars, but it also produce, forces producers to draw down their, their inventories to meet the demand that exists. And as you ease those constraints, there's a strong demand on the part of um, producers to start to rebuild those inventories. So the signs that they are actually rebuilding those inventories, I would argue, uh, is another indication that these constraints are starting to to fade from the scene. Right, but it's absolutely this is this is I guess us airing our dirty laundry on this podcast about some of our debate. But I think it's an interesting debate. It's an important debate. Let me just you know for the sake of argument, Bruce, ask you. Uh, let me put it this way: that it would be somewhat observationally equivalent with a world in which the reason inventories were building is because final demand was falling off a cliff. That right, the final demand is actually picked up into the fourth quarter, not, not dramatically, but it picked up from where it was in the third quarter. And then you have all of these other alignment things that there's a big auto component to it. You have the supplier delivery times going down. So to be sure, I agree with you, not every time that you see inventories moving up, is it by any means an indication of supply dynamics. But in the current context where they were drawn down very heavily, in the current context where they're picking up now alongside the indications that supply constraints are fading and they're happening against the backdrop of okay not exciting but okay and modestly improving final demand i think all of that speaks to the issue that that's part of the story and i guess where i think that's important is it provides a little bit of a cushion going forward here as we start to think about the potential risks of of a new covid wave getting inventories up to more not not normal. Well, I think levels. yeah. I I so I that's where we're in very much agreement that that yes inventories are lifting, which you know we typically would view as something that you know maybe that doesn't bode well for future growth. But in a world where inventories are incredibly lean, and, and we don't have a ton of evidence on this. Certainly in the U.S., they're incredibly lean. You have a, all the anecdotes in the world to talk about lean inventories, and this is the dynamic that you're referring to as as demand has held up, but production's been held back by the by the supply shock. So inventories, you know, there's enough evidence there that suggests lean inventories. There's room to run here for for the inventory cycle, and that does kind of suggests that even in a world where last quarter inventory contribution to growth may be as much as, you know, 10% to manufacturing growth, 10 percentage points, that, you know, there's still, as we move into the first quarter, second quarter, this process still kind of has some legs to it. Uh, and then if you get final sales, which, yes, you pointed out, have kind of picked up a little bit, but are still, you know, relatively more moderate given our, our kind of overall outlook for the, the global economy. If that's also starts to pick up once we move through this, this kind of these near-term headwinds, then I think you've got your, your, your kind of 
your case to be made for strong growth in the product in the manufacturing sector for the next kind of six months here at least? So let's move from one one issue to the next, which you know, one is what's happened in the fourth quarter, and we've kind of just described a world where manufacturing's picked up, and we do see strong imprint of some fading um, supply constraints. But we are now about to, and, and by the way, let's just put the numbers on this from a GDP point of view. We think global GDP is tracking close to 6% and manufacturing is part of that story. But another part of that story, of course, is the service industries recovering as the Delta drag faded and, and particularly in Asia got a pretty big lift. But now right, we you're turn talking into fourth the fourth quarter there, right? Yeah, the fourth quarter. That's where we yeah. sort of ended last year. Now we turn into 2022 and we're dealing with Omicron and um, we can see a drag starting to build here. The part of the question is how, how much is that drag building? But another part of the question is, is it going to renew these constraints that have been associated with previous waves? Yeah, um, I, I mean, I, yeah, I, 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 right now I would say our forecasts are kind of premised on a view that Omicron's going to hit services hard uh, and that a, a combination of kind of more mild um, variant, higher vaccination rates, uh, maybe more tolerant, uh, more kind of targeted restrictions, uh, maybe just some kind of, uh, of uh, pandemic fatigue, all of this leads to less of a hit to the manufacturing sector and therefore less um, kind of resurgence of the bottleneck pressures we saw before. I, but let me, let me jump in there because there's one other piece of this, which is important. It's not just that you get less of a hit, but that this hit is coming against the backdrop of the continuation of what you described a couple of minutes ago, which is the forces that were playing out in the fourth quarter of easing are still operating. So this hit to the degree that it comes is coming against the backdrop of easing pressures as opposed to what we saw through the first six to nine months of 2021, where it was coming against the backdrop of building pressures. So the net still is for the global economy to see pressures uh, ease. Uh, but, I, but Bruce, let me, let, me, let me just probe you on that point. I, the, the, that's, the, that's what we're debating here, which is whether those pressures are going to build, right? The pressures that built last year were kind of surrounding the pandemic. And the question is whether this new wave of the pandemic is going to kind of recharge the headwinds that are going to weigh on the manufacturing sector. I, I don't know if that's the case. Well, and I, I, I lay I, out I'd an argument. It's important to realize that the pressures that hit last summer, particularly with the Asian production cutbacks, came against the backdrop of an early year dynamic, which rotated demand heavily towards goods, drove inventories a lot leaner. So the backdrop that it hit was one of pressures that were building and were going in the wrong direction. And therefore things got intensified. Now inventories have built in the fourth quarter. They're not by any means back to normal. Uh, some of the constraints on um, the um, energy sector are starting to fade, particularly in natural gas. Uh, the dynamics in semiconductors have eased. Uh, there's no doubt that the new wave is going to have some damage, but it's happening against the backdrop. And, and by the way, pricing and, and, and supplier delivery times are moving in the right direction. Uh, there's no doubt that this might have some impact. The question is, will it have enough impact to offset the trajectory of improvement that we see 
underway. And the call I think that's built into our forecast is that there will be some damage, but it won't be enough to reverse things. Remember the middle quarters of last year, we had goods prices, core goods prices running globally, um, you know, something like six, seven percent uh, annualized. And, you know, I think uh, our forecast keeps them elevated, but doesn't have them anywhere close to that pace as we Yeah, but that's our there. forecast. Right. No, I understand. The question is whether all these things come back and that forecast is wrong. Well, again, I think um, the idea here is that you're not going to have the um, the kind of pullback in, in production in Asia. Um, the idea is that you're not going to have it integrate with the energy sector going in, in bad directions. Obviously, there's risk that all of this could be wrong, but the dynamic. Right. But the, and, and the risks are as the reason that we don't think that um, is, is, as I said, I mean, I, you can make the case that the, the, this new strain is less, uh, is, is uh, less virulent. Uh, you can make the case that, you know, vaccinations are a lot higher. You can make the case that there is kind of a, a, a willingness to maybe tolerate this a bit more because of those two factors. And therefore, maybe that you don't get the hit to the manufacturing sector like you had before, particularly in Asia. And I think there's a little evidence of this, but I just, I, I'm, I'm nervous, right? That's our baseline call. And I should be clear, right? Our baseline call is that we kind of weather this in the manufacturing sector to hit services harder. But, you know, the anecdotes are are building. And I'll say it's interesting. I got, you know, a number of uh, responses to this note from, you know, uh, clients, actually corporate type clients, small business type clients that are saying this is interesting. They're seeing this through the fourth quarter, but they just wanted to let me know that they are seeing some of these constraints building still and and maybe less on the the actual goods inputs but more so on the labor side of things and that still leads to to challenges for producing because one company is an input for another company and um you know these are kind of i guess as we say in the piece these are downside risks that aren't aren't built into the into the forecast and i think that's an interesting point because i think the service sector drag is very much closely linked to people being out of work and, and labor market drags. And I think the question is then, if this is the case, and this is a different type of a supply uh, shock than what got hit last year, how does it play out in, in terms of the, the macro data? Um, it, it is important to recognize that we do have it hitting growth pretty significantly in the US and Western Europe. It is also important to realize that at least at this stage, we don't have it hitting growth uh, in Asia very significantly. And in some ways that's where um, the risks may be the, uh, the greatest. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and China, of course, as a particular focus, given um, the relatively uh, uh, aggressive policy stance the government still has, which is in the backdrop, of course, of uh, vaccinations, which are perhaps not as effective and not as fully um, disseminated in the population as in many other countries we're talking about in Asia at this point. So, um, you know, what's your kind of, you know, view on, on, on the issue here? We have global GDP slowing into the um, mid threes after a 6% quarter. We have very similar profile for inflation. Um, should we be worried more about downside risk on growth and upside risk on inflation? Is that the way you'd kind of uh, postulate things? Yeah, I, it's definitely where I'm at right now. I think, you know, I, 
I'll say what we've always said when we go through these waves, which is that this is a near-term story and that the, the fundamentals are still quite strong. They're strong for the household sector with healthy balance sheets, strong labor markets, wage growth, generally uh, pretty strong for the corporate sector. Um, there's pent-up demand, particularly in the durable goods sector, particularly in autos. Uh, there's there's pent up demand from an inventory perspective, you know, all the right and, and policy generally, I think, is certainly on the monetary size is incredibly supportive still fiscal is kind of an interesting mix where you, that is turning into a bit more of a headwind this year. I mean, that that was like a 22nd overview of our outlook, but all of it points to very solid supports for, for strong growth. And so whatever headwind you're going to throw at me, and I do think there's downside risks in the current quarter. Um, you know, and it, you pointed out in Asia in particular, and I do think that ripples through the good sector a bit more than what's built in. I would just say that leads to more of a bounce back as we move into, um, you know, at some point in the second uh, quarter. And I do ultimately feel like this notion of pandemic moving to an endemic, this may be the last wave where we really feel like this could potentially do some damage even if not as bad as what we've seen, uh, say over the over the past year, and that we move into a period where the the strains get either you know less virulent or the increased vaccination, the increased immunity of so many people getting this last strain, all of that I think you know speaks to a world in which we're we're moving out of the the, the moving away from the pandemic headwinds and just then settling into a world where you've got strong fundamentals and, and strong growth. So it's largely a near term down downside risk, but still holding on to a view that growth is, is, is going to be a good year. So obviously, that's a far bigger and more important point than any of the, the dynamics that we see in the next couple of months. And that's where things get somewhat complicated, which is that we recognize we're going to have a lot of volatility here, as described by the manufacturing sector, a big rebound into the fourth quarter, uh, getting hit here now by some uh, constraints as we go into the first quarter. It's it's really looking through the um, the underlying um, uh, signals that we get the message of where uh, things are going. And we're not going to take the conversation here because this is a different podcast. But you know, one of the things we've been been saying basically it, it is the underlying resiliency of household balance sheets and and the ability of the the demand side to hold up here uh, even if it's getting hit. It's the ability of um, um, the uh, labor, not the ability, but it's the resiliency seen in labor markets. And in that signal, the tightening that continues to happen, which become important. And it also becomes important in guiding us towards a Fed that looks through some of this weakness and continues to move towards what we expect to be a, um, uh, a March tightening in, in monetary policy. Uh, so with that, I think we'll, we'll end here. Um, there's a lot to consider. There's a lot to debate and hopefully um, an opportunity to talk about this again as we uh, continue with the Global Data Pod. Thank you very much. This communication is provided for information purposes only. Please refer to JP Morgan Research Reports related to its content for more information, including important disclosures. 2022 JP Morgan Chase & Company, all rights reserved. This episode was recorded in January, 2022.